Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're talking about this topic of fully human. And to be honest, I have to be real with you. I don't feel particularly fully human this morning. Uh, in an effort to keep my boys uh, busy and life interesting during ISO, we made a decision that we would go camping. Yes, we are camping in the yard. Uh, sleeping bags, fire barrel, the whole nine yards and the eight degree temperature overnight. Yes, we've been camping since Thursday in the yard and I feel slightly less than fully human this morning, so bear with me. I guess when I think about it though, there's a part of me that's actually slightly less than fully human overall beyond just my camping expedition and lack of sleep. It's been a hard six months trying to juggle schooling, three children at home, having to work from home, spend a lot of time working at my laptop in my bedroom when I'm not with my kids, juggling things around and really struggling to find things that fill my tank. Like Matt was just asking before, what things are you doing that fill your tank? It's actually really hard. So there's a part of me that feels slightly less than fully human right now, um, but I'm getting there. I don't feel um, dreadfully not fully human. Maybe I'll go with moderately human rather than fully human. So what do we mean by this phrase, fully human? What are we talking about? And I guess the idea is to think about the, the fully human kind of people that God intended in the beginning. When he dreamed up our lives, what is it that he imagined for our lives? What did he imagine for us to live fully human lives? That's what we're talking about. It might be that you're from a family where you had to fight to be heard and you have learned the tactic of speaking over people. Not fully human. Work to be done, processing to be done. Or it might be that you experienced a really difficult, challenging conflict and you've now learned a habit of conflict avoidance. Work to be done, changes to be made. Or you may have been someone who over the years chose not to listen to good advice and you're now in a position where you've severely lacked wisdom and you've made some poor choices. There's work to be done and growth to be had. That's what we're talking about. You may have a short fuse. You may have uh, like a medium-term stubborn streak or you may have um, a long, hard road of apathy that you need to overcome and you may live, be living a life that's less than what God imagined, not fully human as the creator planned for you. In this series, we're thinking about how we change. How do we change and become more like the people God imagined? Now, we're not talking about perfection here. I've got a, uh, a good-looking bloke here. Uh, this guy, his name, he's a scientist from the 1800s, and his name is Edward Cope. Now, Edward Cope made a decision that he was so epically fully human that he wanted his bones at the end of the day to be donated to science to be the official archetype bones, the, the official human skeleton for the entire human race. So when it was towards the end of his life, he wrote in his will for his bones to be donated to science. And when those bones were donated and the scientists were preparing them for this alleged archetype human set of bones... Yeah, they discovered that there was evidence of syphilis in the bones, a disease that you really don't want to have in the archetype set of bones for the human race. So they quietly shelved old Edward's bones and put them over to the side. There still is no archetype human skeleton for the human race uh, in existence. There just isn't because there is no perfect human being. 
And I guess that's what I want to remind us of right now. We actually all need to change. We all need to change because there is no perfect human being. Well, actually, there was. There was one perfect human, one fully human, and that is the person of Jesus. Jesus is the fully human one, uh, and we need to look to him. Before we do that, what I want you to think about for just a moment is in your life and in your need for growth and change. You might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, I don't have a lot of things that I need to grow in. I don't have a lot of things that I need to change in. And I wonder if that's something worth challenging because there is no perfect human. I've got this image here. It's a picture of a window. And I want to have a moment where we think about a thing called the Johari window. You may have heard of it. This may be brand new to you. But imagine a window that has four quadrants. I put some names on these quadrants. In that top left-hand quadrant is the arena. That's where what I know about myself is also known by others. It's in the arena. That bottom left-hand corner is called hidden. And they're the things that I know about myself, but nobody else knows. They're hidden. And then in that top right-hand corner uh, is the blind corner. I think I'm pointing to the wrong angles. In that top right-hand corner is the blind quadrant, where there are things that other people know about me, but I do not know about myself. I'm not aware of those things, and that's really important. And then, of course, that last quadrant, which is unknown. They are things that neither I know about myself or others, and they're yet to be discovered and unpacked. This whole idea of change leads us to this space where it becomes really important, particularly for that blind quadrant. What do others know about me that I am unaware of knowing about myself? And it's a really helpful little tool. It's called the Johari window. You might want to have a bit of a think about it and a bit of a process through uh, that exercise. But there was one perfect person, and he was the name of Jesus. Uh, In the... Philippians, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Philippi in chapter 2. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus had the very nature of God, but took on human likeness and became human and dwelt among us. Fully God but fully human. The creator of the entire universe expressed himself as a human, very tangible way for us to understand not only who God is, but how we ought to live, who we ought to be, how we ought to be. A very tangible, um, visual experience of who we need to be to be fully human. Because this life matters and we need to know how to live in this life. And Jesus can be our example. It's actually God's desire for us to be fully human. There's a a guy called John Altberg, and he put together um, a, a series of studies called The Me I Want to Be. And he likens this idea of change in us to the idea of uh, renovating an old motorcycle, of recognizing what it could be, and actually putting in the hard work of restoring it back to its former glory, back to the way it was always meant to be. Before this world and all its complexities and all its problems changed it. The me I meant to be, the me I want to be, God's best version of me, God's best version 
of ourselves. That's why we're changing. That's how we're changing. That's what we're changing into. We're all a work in progress. And it's God's delight to do that deep restoration work in us. So what does it mean to cultivate a life that is fully human? To actively take part in this restoration work? We've been looking at this image of a tree. Thanks to Les Colston, we've developed this little picture and it's kind of a bit of a helpful tool for us to think about how we change. So I'm just going to pare it back. I'm going to take away the branches, I'm going to take away the roots and I'm going to leave us just with that little heart to think about that heart for a moment. The heart is the place in which our emotions sit, in where our character is. It's not that necessarily that beating organ in our body, but it's the core of our being, the core of who we are. And we actually need to start there and think about how do we cultivate who we are and how do we change. The second part in it is those roots. So the idea of actually planting down deep roots into the rich soil of who God is, of actually drawing our nutrients, um, what we need for life from him, from his power, from who he is. And not only drawing nutrients from him, but actually going down to spend time with him so that he can reveal to us who he is and who he wants us to be. And even more than that, actually planting roots down gives us a solidity, gives us a steadfastness in life so that whatever comes our way, winds, flood, the whole nine yards, whatever it is, we are actually planted in him. And that's part of how we change. Then we have our branches where we actually branch out and participate in life, uh, where we bear fruit uh, and where we prune and are active with others. And I'll unpack some of that a little bit later on. But it's a beautiful image where we can see the, the push and the pull between going down and drawing on God's energy and expending my effort and back down to drawing on God's energy and back up to spending my effort. And in that process, our heart is changed and we become more fully human. A little while ago, I realised that God was trying to bring about a big change in my life. He was about to do something really big in me, and that was to address my authenticity. I had uh, spent a lot of years valuing authenticity, but really struggling with how to participate in the vulnerability that it required. In my mind, I really liked the idea of being real with people and being honest with people, but it was a struggle. I've got a definition of authenticity. Authenticity is the degree to which a person's actions are consistent with his or her beliefs and desires. God wanted to do some pretty deep work in me in terms of authenticity. It wasn't that I was faking a highlights reel for my life, but it came down to how desperately I wanted to project, project the right image so I would work harder. If it was about being a good mum, I would work so hard so as to have a good highlights reel to present. If it was about being a good friend, I would work so hard so that I would have a good highlights reel to present. Whatever it was in life, I worked harder and harder and harder so that I never actually had to be vulnerable. I never had to be authentic. 
I had a, I had a way of presenting myself um, that avoided the vulnerability. And that was, that was a complicated place to be because whilst I valued it, I drastically avoided it. Part of the reason for avoiding it was because for me to be authentic and real and vulnerable, warts and all, was risky. There was a risk involved that if people saw who I really was, the complexities of who I really was, they might actually reject me. Uh, And so therefore, I would just work harder on being the best I could be so that nobody ever had to see the worst of me. And it was a real challenge in authenticity. And there was a time not that long ago where God kind of said, we're going to work on that and we're going to work on it in a big way. Uh, And I'm glad he did. And it's still a work in process. Uh, But it it was really big. I'll come back to more of that in a moment. But I remember when I first encountered Jesus. I remember when I was... Um, 18, 19 years old and getting involved in a church and I would hear people talk about Jesus and I would talk, hear them talk about the kind of person he was and the things he said and, and the way he acted and the way he treated people and I was so drawn to that. I was attracted by it and I, I just thought that he was incredible and I looked at him and went, that is the kind of person I want to be. Um, and the more over the years that I've unpacked who Jesus really is, the more I've discovered in him an incredible sense of authenticity as well. Jesus was authentic um, all of the time. But what I saw in, in the more I got to know who Jesus was is I see that he actually values authenticity in others. He doesn't gravitate to the people who've got it all together and are all sorted out. He gravitates to the people who are broken and need to grow and change and who are aware of their need. He he not only appreciates it and gravitates it towards those people, but he actually also calls it out. There are countless times in all of the stories of Jesus where he presses into people and he challenges for them to be vulnerable. He challenges for them to be authentic and to be real with him about the stuff that's going on for them. And I really appreciate that. But when it comes down to it, there is no more authentic, vulnerable place that I see Jesus than in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to have a quick look at that this morning, if we can. In the book of Matthew, so an account of Jesus' life written by Matthew in chapter 26, it talks about this whole idea of Jesus going towards a garden with his disciples And it's, in my mind, it's getting dark and he's got a lot on his mind and he's heavy-hearted. And this is what he says in Matthew 26. So Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. You sit here, he said to his disciples, while I go over there and pray. My soul is overwhelmed with grief, he said, even to death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then going a little further on, he fell on his face and prayed. His soul was overwhelmed with grief, even to death. There's a beautiful vulnerability that he has with his friends, 
I, I kind of imagine myself in that place and, and I would struggle with it. I would want to say, guys, I've got it all together. I'm all right. Everything's fantastic. You know, we're all fine. And then I would go and grieve quietly by myself. But Jesus doesn't. He invites the people in to the things that are stressing him out. He invites them in to what's really going on inside of him. And he says, come, come with me. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. I'm grieved. I'm grieved deeply in my soul. There's a lot going on for me right now. And I want you to be with me, he says to them. When I had to work on my issues of vulnerability and authenticity, it it wasn't like it was kind of a gradual build-up where I began to unpack these things. For me, unfortunately, it happened a bit like lancing a wound where I suddenly found myself utterly vulnerable in front of a lot of people that meant a lot to me. Um, In my heart, it kind of felt like that deep, um, anxious moment of, you know, if you turned up to high school and you were naked, I just felt exposed um, and incredibly vulnerable. And there was great risk in that space for me. But God walked with me because my heart was ready and soft and because I had deep roots down into him who was my solid foundation there were scriptures from the bible deeply embedded in who I was my nutrients and my sustenance came from God and so therefore I was able to do the work there were two main things that I did the first one was that I called people in around me to be authentic with. And what I found, to my surprise, is that when I was real and authentic and vulnerable with those people, they didn't reject me. It wasn't as risky as I thought. The second thing I needed to do was to stop having such high expectations of others because what I found myself doing was striving so hard to be everything I needed to be in order to hide the real me, Uh, that I had developed a bit of a sense of perhaps judginess. I would often wonder why people would say things to me like, you know, when I first met you, I was really scared of you. And I, I didn't understand. But looking back now, I guess I did. Because, you know, I was setting a really high bar and it was not real. I wanted to change and I was aware of the change that I needed because God had made me very clearly aware. I didn't want to be like the kind of person who wasn't real. I was watching a series the other day, and um, it's a series called The World's Toughest Race, and it's great. It's um, this amazing, huge race run by Bear Grylls himself, and they have to swim, and they have to abseil, and they have to... um, paddleboard and all sorts of amazing things and and they have to race for pretty much back to back near on a week and it's enormous but there was this one moment when I was watching the show and one of the teams you have a team of four and one of the teams had a man down and they'd stopped and he was on the floor and they needed to press on in the race and do a 15 hour hike and he could not get up off the floor His legs were gone. There was something going on in him and he was spent. But nothing in him would admit it. 
the other team members would go around and say, do you need us to call it? Do, you know, can, it doesn't look like you could go on. And he was just so doggedly ad- adamant that he could go on. He just needed a minute. He just needed a minute. He just needed a minute. And it was agonizing to watch. And I wanted to yell into the TV, just say you can't do it, for goodness sake. And then I had a look back at me and I went, that's the lesson that I needed to learn. And I don't want to be that guy who says, I got this, I got this, when actually I don't got it. Being authentic for me led to some really big healing and transformation. But I had to do it down in the gnarly roots of life with God. I had to take my little broken heart down into the roots and do some difficult work with God. And I needed to do some really complicated work about my inherent value, not my worldly value. I needed to let go of what I thought made me worthy and pay attention to what God said made me worthy. I decided that I needed to trust God because just as much as I was struggling to trust other people with the real me, boy, was I struggling to trust God with the real me. And I had to do that work as well. Thinking back to that image of Jesus and the Garden of Gethsemane, the the Mount of Olives in amongst those gnarly olive trees. They're not oak trees, they're olive trees. In that darkening night where his soul was just bereft and he was grieving to the point of death because he knew what was to come there's a beautiful moment which I had a close look at the other day and I see it I see it so clearly Jesus was utterly authentic with his heavenly father it's one thing to be authentic with the people around us but it's another thing to be utterly authentic with our heavenly father this is what He says, so he said to his disciples, you stay here, I'm going to pray. And then in there on his knees, he says, my father, if it is possible, please, please let this cup go away from me. But not what I want, what you want. And you can hear that push and that pull and that realness. He's actually bringing his real self to God. And saying, this is hard. This is complicated. Please, if there's any other way. And yet I recognize that you are God, so I will live the life you want me to. And I love that. And it's a great lesson for me to think about how authentic I need to be with God. Uh, Because it's one thing to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, my roots are down deep in with God. But there are parts of me that aren't. There are parts of me that are a bit like the spare room in my house where when the visitors are coming over, we shove everything in there and we shut the door because we know nobody's going in there. We can't have any spare rooms with all the junk when it comes to God. We need to be vulnerable and authentic and real before him. So in my life, I had to cut off some unhelpful behaviors. I needed to gather some good people around me and I needed to spend time allowing his power to transform me. So two little side things when it comes to authenticity and vulnerability. Firstly, be careful who you are vulnerable with and who you share with. We can't go around wearing a heart on our sleeve 24-7 all the time because there are some people that cannot carry 
what we carry. So yes, we want to be authentic, but we also want to be smart about it. And secondly, there's actually a cost if we're not authentic. There's a particular cost for those who follow Jesus if we are not authentic. Because people who don't know Jesus will come in and they will stand beside us. They may gather in our midst and if they look around and see people who don't need help transforming, who've just got it all together and are all fine, they may say, I don't fit here. And that would be very disappointing. So there is a cost to us being not authentic as well. Now, don't go around the rest of life looking for ways that Yvonne's inauthentic because that's not what this talk is about. This is just me sharing my vulnerability and my journey and my struggle with authenticity. Your job is to have a think about what your growth area is. Where do you need to grow? And is it, um, is it a quick surgical procedure that needs to happen that makes your growth happen? Or is it a lifelong work? Is it a surgical procedure or like a long rehab with a physio? Is it like lancing a wound or is it like the slow polish of a beautiful piece of furniture? Whichever one it is, that's your work to do. It may be like restoring a motorbike. So when we think of our tree and our heart and that work down there in the root system, you might be saying, look, I love that idea of doing work on the root system of where we're planted with God, but how? How? What does it look like? And the answer is spending time, drawing on his strength, asking for revelation from him about who we are because he sees right into our soul. He knows everything. He knows what's in that unknown window of the Johari window. He knows everything. And if we invite him to reveal to us, he just might. And also ask yourself, what worked in the past? Is a helpful question. So with our branches, how is it that we prune because there are going to be things that we need to actually remove from our life. And some of the ideas you might need to think about might be a triplet for accountability. You might want to have a mentor who asks you hard questions. Um, or like Ro said, you know, some counselling or seeing a, a psychologist or something like that. That might be helpful. Or um, maybe even a spiritual director. The other thing is to place yourself in a healthy environment so that you can actually choose to stop behaviours that you need to stop to cut things off. One of the things that I needed to do in terms of my pruning was to take thoughts captive. I've talked before about talking to my little son Charlie about how do we take our thoughts captive and present them to God and he uses a little butterfly net. But I've realised over time um, that my method is slightly different in terms of taking my thoughts captive. And it may be because I live in a family of boys who are all Star Wars mad. This may not make sense for those of you who don't understand Star Wars. Bear with me for, for, for you guys. But what I do in a moment when I recognise there is a thought emerging and I know it is not helpful and I know it is not the truth and I know it is not God, I say these are not the droids you're looking for. Yep, the guys on the desk get it. They just laughed. But I do. In my head, I recognise something as an unhelpful thought and I say, these are not the droids you're looking for and I watch it go past 
and I allow it to go past and I don't let it to take hold. I don't let it to have any power or truth and I actually let it go past and I swipe it by. These are not the droids you're looking for. You might want to use your butterfly net and take the thoughts captive and present them to God, whatever it is. That's also a really important pruning technique for us as people. And so then in our tree on the other side, how do we participate together? What things do we need to do in order to be that fully flourishing tree with the pruning and the participating in terms of our own effort? Well, we need to find people who can be a mirror to us, find people who will hold up a mirror to us and, and show us who we really are. We also need to find people who will reflect critical, critically with us, find people who will ask questions like, what were you thinking? Or what's God saying in these moments? And lastly, you cannot expect to grow and change by pulling up roots every couple of years. So people who pull up roots and move from community to community or friendship group from, to friendship group because it gets hard will probably lose the value of having an active community of people to reflect life back to them, to be real with uh, and to grow. Jesus, he is the best one to be fully authentic, real and vulnerable with. Jesus grieved over Lazarus, his friend, when he died. Jesus drew all kinds of people to him. He wasn't too good for anyone. He showed anguish and grief in the garden. He went to the cross and he died. He knew shame. He knew helplessness. He knew pain. He spent time in a tomb. He knows life. He knows the fully human life. And he wants it for us with all the energy he can muster. He wants it so bad for us that he was willing to die that we might have it. John 10, 10 says, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus came, because this life matters and Jesus wants us to live fully. There is no other safe person than the person of Jesus. I wonder what it might look like for you to think about what kind of growth and what kind of change needs to happen in your own life. I wonder if you might do an exercise with me. I wonder if you might take your hand. There's four other people in the room. Work with me here at home. Take your hand and I want you to tuck your thumb in and imagine that your thumb is that primitive part of your brain where the emotions sit. And then I want you to wrap your fingers over the top and that's your prefrontal cortex, your thinking brain that sits over the top and helps you make good decisions. And then I want you to take a look at it and see if it doesn't look like a heart. You might have to squint a little. And then I want you to take that heart and I want you to turn it down, side, down below and imagine what it is that God wants you to do in terms of planting deep roots and listen to him for a moment. What does he want you to do? How does he want you to soften your heart and plant deep roots? What are the roots he's asking? Because he'll probably tell you now if you listen and if you ask him, what do deep roots look like for me? Is it 
time? Is it effort? Is it silence? Is it practice? What is it that he wants you to do in terms of deep roots? And then I want you to take your hand and I want you to turn it up the other way and ask God, what is it that you want me to do in terms of flourishing? Like those branches on that tree. What is it that you want me to prune off or to change and to stop doing? And he'll, he'll call it to mind if you ask him, if you listen, if you lean in and ask him. His spirit will nudge you. Or what is it, God, that you want me to do? Where do you want me to gather? Where do you want me to place myself? I wonder if that's an exercise that you might do again and again. Take that heart, take your mind and your heart, the core of your being, and think about those deep roots and those wide branches. It's very simple. I'm going to close um, in prayer. But I wonder if today is not the day where you stop and you ask, God, what? What is it that you want me to grow in? What do you want me to do differently? Where do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be in this time and in this space so that I might be fully human? Let's pray. Loving God, thank you that you care. Thank you that um, it is your deep delight to do this restoration work in our lives, in every single one of our lives. Uh, And God, I pray that you will help us to trust you, that you will help us to put you first and to listen deeply to where it is that you want us to change. And God, I ask that whilst it is partly my effort, it is actually your transforming power, your restorative work in me that changes. Thank you, God, that you are the power to do the heavy lifting in our change. Thank you, God, that all my, my work is, is to have a soft heart, an open mind, an inclined ear, and a willingness to position myself. So thank you for being willing to grow us so that we might be fully human. We're going to sing a song of our youth band, and it's called Waymaker. Why don't you join us and listen to what God's got to say to you? Thank mm-hmm. you.